Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,849. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in West Hills, California, with a very special guest by the name of Harold Osmer. Harold, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Mark. Here we go. Here we go. Well, listen, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into what you're up to, would you tell us maybe one little thing most people don't know about you, Harold? One little thing. <laughs> if There might be a few. <laughs> no, there's, there's a few. I'll just stick with one. Uh, no, we'll go with a couple. I taught karate for 15 years. Ooh. I'm pretty good at playing a ukulele. And I'm not afraid of spiders. <laughs> you are a man of the world. That sounds pretty cool. So teaching karate, I remember taking a class or two when I was you know, a kid, but teaching means you must be black belt, perhaps? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. something I had always wanted to do. And once I got out of, I was in the Navy in the way back days. And once I got out, a friend of mine called me up and she said, hey, how come you weren't on cl- weren't at class last week? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you told me as soon as you got out of the Navy, you were going to come and join the class ah. and you're out now. And I said, oh, okay. Okay. So that was that. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you for your service to this great country. I really appreciate that. Uh, I have many family members who've served uh, Marine Corps, Army, Navy. So uh, appreciate that very much. My next door neighbors are retired Air Force captain. So uh, that's very cool. And the ukulele. That's a very interesting instrument. I played the guitar my whole life. I picked up a ukulele and played it a few times, but I love, you know, I think a ukulele is obviously, I think of Hawaii and the trade winds and the beautiful oceans and so forth. And I've got a great picture of Harold in his uh, Hawaiian shirt with his ukulele. Why the ukulele though? What caused that? Well, I got to be a little bit of an older guy and realized I don't know how to play any musical instrument. Mm. And I figured I should be able to play. And so I tried picking up a guitar because I've seen plenty of people do that. And I just found it a little too complicated and too many frustrating strings. for me. <laughs> too many strings. A ukulele has four strings. I yep. got four fingers. When you strum chords on a ukulele, you hit every string every time. <laughs> I can handle that. And plus, when you when you start playing a ukulele, Nobody expects anything good to come out of it. So whatever you do exceeds expectations and you're ahead of the game. That's pretty funny. You know, uh, one of the guys who really loved the ukulele was Paul McCartney. Enjoyed playing the ukulele, which you don't really think of that very often, but he enjoyed that instrument. But I like the sound of it and uh, it just kind of puts me at ease. So that's very cool. Well, let me give you a proper introduction and we'll dive into why we're talking today. Harold Osmer is an author who has written Where They Race Turn Three Auto Racing Venues in Southern California from 1900 to 2020. It's a long awaited revision of his original classic, Where They Raced, which has been out of print 
favorite since 2012. He wrote two additional racing books, Saga Speedway Scrapbook and Real Road Racing, in addition to publishing Misinformation's Automotive Calendar of Events. I think we're getting a little hint of uh, the humor in Harold's life here. He was regional director for Society of Automotive Historians, announced at the Bonneville Salt Flats and Irwindale Speedway, produces car review videos for LACar.com, and served aboard a nuclear submarine. I got to go on board a nuclear submarine. I have great admiration for people that serve on that type of vessel. He also produced the annual Turkey Nights Grand Prix program for 20 years. He and his daughters build rocket engines. And as he said, he loves to play the ukulele. I'll be back in just a minute with Harold, but first a word from our valued sponsors. So sit tight, keep the seatbelts on. We'll be right back. One of your vehicle's interior surfaces that gets a lot of abuse is your dashboard. The sun beats down and those damaging UV rays cause massive heat cycles, resulting in color changes and sometimes cracks. My friends at Covercraft have a great solution for you and for me. Their custom-tailored dash mats protect your dash from heat buildup while providing a stylus solution. You can choose from a variety of styles and colors, including carpet, suede mat, that's the one I have for my vehicles, Carhartt limited edition velour mats, and the Ultimat for trucks and SUVs. Another great benefit of your Covercraft dash mat is that it eliminates the harsh glare the sun produces from your dash to the inside of your windshield, which can make driving a hazard. Covercraft's dash mat design center is located in Arizona, where they know about harsh sun. I've got a special deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. When it was time to renew my collector car policy, my carrier raised my rates by a lot. But why? My usage was the same, my car's value was the same, and I had never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. The only change was their rate, and they had no reason why. What's with that? I researched my options, I spoke to others, and with American Collectors Insurance is where I now have my policy. What a difference. A live person actually answers the phone. She spent time learning about me and my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush, and provided a reasonable quote. American Collectors Insurance now protects my special ride. I'm saving hundreds of dollars and I can sleep at night knowing my baby is properly insured. Why wait until your next premium is due? Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote. Call 866 AC1 yeah that's 866-224-9324 tell them you're a friend of mine Mark Green at Cars Yeah American Collectors Insurance classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors automotive enthusiasts just like you and me that's American Collectors Insurance All right Harold we're back so I'm going to dive a little deeper into the corner and let's talk about this book because my listeners know I grew up in Southern California when I was a kid, my dad would take me to some of the great raceways that don't exist anymore. Great fun. And what a lot of people don't realize is how many raceways there were. And you take us all the way back in this book to board track races all the way up into 2020. So let's talk a little bit about this book, why you wrote it, and uh, maybe a few things you discovered along the way. Certainly. I This whole, I mean, I've got a very twisted tale to tell. We'll, we'll cut to the <laughs> chase on, on this one. But uh I wound up, as many of the other people working in aerospace industry in 1990, 91, in that range, we all got laid off. 
And my wife was working aerospace. And so I decided, or we decided, hey, we should split up and not be in the same industry. So she kept working aerospace. And I went to college as a 30-year-old. Wow. And inside of five years, I had a master's degree in geography, land use planning. Mm -hmm. And the idea was go to work for the city. So now I've got now the house will have a city guy and an aerospace person. And so we can work this out. This was in the mid 90s, right around the time that California Speedway was being built. And I had been an Ascot fan for a while, and they had already closed by then. And uh, so I knew there were probably 10 or 15 racetracks in Los Angeles. And I thought, well, for a thesis topic, I should go and see if I can find this book. Because the internet didn't exist at that time. So I thought, well, if I can find this book, that'll be a good exercise, if you will, for just research. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was there was no book about this, mm. um, but there is a book called History of America's Speedways, and it covers all of the racetracks across the country, and it had just been compiled by a guy named Alan Brown. And so all it was was a quick list, state by state, of a random racetrack. You know, Jones Raceway was open from 1948 to 1952 kind of thing. And in going through that book, I discovered that uh, there were more racetracks in Southern California than any other place in the world. And I thought, well, I wonder where those were and what's there now. And I thought, hey, wait a minute, land use planning. Mm -hmm. And I need a thesis topic. Yeah. And, you know, some guy's got a light bulb. I have a candle. Well, it lit. <laughs> and off I went. And then, of course, uh, the more I learned, the more I wanted to know. And since we live here, it made it even more fascinating to me, you know, because I had heard some stories and I knew some other things, but I really wasn't that big into the racing thing. Mm -hmm. But the history came about and being a Navy brat growing up, I moved all around the country. So geography had its roots in me, if you will. And then the racing came about. That's where it came from. I started looking at what effect a racetrack had on future land use. And the short answer is none. But the more fun answer is that more auto racing has taken place in Southern California than any other place in the world. And the current book, we're up to 179 different official racetracks from 1903 up to the current time. It's amazing to me. And the first question that comes to mind is why? Why in California were there so many racetracks? What did you discover? There's lots of space. Ah. <laughs> and that's part of what makes it happen. The other thing was that Things don't happen, history doesn't happen in a vacuum. So many things are tied to one another. Los Angeles of 1900 didn't have much population, but it had a ton of space. And the automobile showed up at the same time as Los Angeles was growing. So if you go to cities like uh, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, you can still find in some of the older neighborhoods where the alleys are real small or there's a really tiny garage that was actually started as a carriage house. Mm -hmm. But in Los Angeles, those are extremely rare because Los Angeles developed along at the same time as the automobile. Right. And with the automobile, as we know, you know, the, the first auto race took place about 10 minutes after the second automobile was built. Yes. And, you know, there's no shortage of young people willing to go fast. And, of course, I can go faster than you. And everything developed side by side. Yeah. And that, that's part of what brought Los Angeles together. The second thing that really figures into this is the only thing 
that Los Angeles really had to sell because there's no raw materials here, let's call it. There's no mining. There's no big forest, anything of this nature. But we do have weather. Mm. Very nice weather, very nice climate, lots of wide open spaces. The old cars could travel over these things, and you need to travel in between. So they all developed together. No doubt. And you think about places like Riverside Raceway, and as it got to the point towards the end of its life, a lot of people said, why they build a raceway here where there's all these people that live? But there was no people there when they <laughs> built that raceway. We have a raceway here, Pacific Raceway, that when they built it, it was out in the middle of the forest, basically. Now, of course, the houses and the buildings are encroaching upon it, and the people that live around it are frustrated and angry. Uh, it's the same with airports in many cases. So the sprawl that happened in Southern California and in many parts of California I just kind of encroached on these things. Is that what kills many of these racetracks? Um, no. In a, in a single word, no. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens is there's so much available land here. And so Mark and Harold go out and decide to invest in, you know, 100 acres of land. Well, Mark and Harold don't have a whole lot of money, so we buy some land that really you can't do much with. It's out there kind of in the marshland a little bit. It floods out annually, whatever. So we buy our 100 acres, and we're just going to sit on it until at some point we can sell it and make some money. Well, while it's sitting there, you got these race car guys come around and said, hey, mind if we put a racetrack on that? And we think, well, okay. So we lease the, to the guy, the race car guy, mm -hmm. and we lease it to him for, you know, we give him a seven-year lease. He puts up a racetrack. Now, you think auto racing is greasy, grimy, dirty affair. Well, it's not a junkyard because anybody who crashes their car takes their parts home. Yeah. It's not a toxic waste place because you burn the fuel and the oil in your car and what you don't use, you take home with you. So you don't have a toxic waste thing going on. You don't have a junkyard developing anything like this. All you have is this oval that's been carved out, usually in the dirt, some rudimentary grandstands, maybe some light standards, you know, some restrooms, whatever. But typically it's a very simple construction sort of thing. So now at the end of seven years, the city has grown a little bit. The flood control channels are in now, so you don't have annual flooding. Your property value has increased. The lease is up. The guy doesn't want to run races anymore because he's kind of tired of the game, or it'll take more money to invest in the property, and he really doesn't want to do that. So he goes away. We make flat with the racetrack, which is easy to do, and then we develop it. We sell it off to a developer, or we do it ourselves. And that's primarily what happened with the racetracks in Southern California. There was no overarching guy that came around and said, you must close. Mm -hmm. Now, there's one other track that uh, currently operates in Bakersfield at Oildale. And back in the day, uh, Spud Simpkins took over as manager there. And he knew that he had to be a good neighbor because he could see the writing on the wall up there as well as they were growing. This was back in the late 50s. So he went to a neighboring uh, trailer park. And he said, hey, guys, what can we do to be better neighbors? And they said, well, you can, you know, put in a curfew. You can stop guys racing in the parking lot after the event. And, you know, a list of things you could do to be a better neighbor. And so he did that. He made up a list and he signed it so the racetrack would follow some basic neighbor rules. And the trailer park agreed to never complain about the racetrack so long as they stayed within their guidelines. And what he did Spud Simpkins took that 
to the city and said, hey, look, we have an agreement here. And he said, yep. And so every time they went to do some sort of development in the area, they presented that same paperwork to those guys and said, look, everybody has to sign here that there is an existing uh, business that creates noise. They do follow the good neighbor rules, and but you're going to have to acknowledge this. Right. And they all do that. And so Oildale still functions as a racetrack largely because of that. Wow. And you should be a good neighbor anyway, but of course. You know, you can't control everybody who shows up, but you can you can handle most of it. Absolutely. When you look at this newest book, is there one very inspirational story, one track that stands out for you? The biggest one has to be Santa Monica. Mm. The Santa Monica Road Races ran 1909 to 1919. And so I'm really attached to that era because there was so much going on. The sport of auto racing hardly existed. They didn't really have codified rules or anything. You know, sometimes they would race according to price of the car or, you know, as opposed to cubic inches or anything else like this. So they had to develop not only the sport itself, but they had to figure out how they were going to make a racetrack, how they were going to do crowd control, how they were going to what signals they're going to use. Heck, it wasn't until 1913 before they decided, whoever they are, that we're going to use a checkered <laughs> flag to indicate the end of a race. And all these things that we just kind of take for granted today, they all came from somewhere. Right. And it was in 1909 when they did. The other thing that happened at Santa Monica was the races were instrumental in attracting people to the area so that Santa Monica could grow and build up a tax base and become its own city just so happens they have their own aquifer so they have their own water and in this same time frame of the 19 teens los angeles as a city was busy annexing all the properties in southern california as much as it could Mm -hmm. and santa monica was able to maintain its autonomy because partly because they had their own water and they also had a growing population which was in part because People would hear about guys racing cars in February out at the beach in Santa Monica, and in there, you're in Chicago, and it's all mud and everything outside. They right. say, hey. So they would come to Southern California. Naturally, you want to go to a place you've heard of, and they've heard of Santa Monica, so the population grew. And so those events, partly because everything was developing, the automobile was developing, I mean, they started out with basic stock cars in 1909, and by 1919... They had speedsters. They had actual purpose-built race cars showing up. So it was just a fascinating time. Absolutely. It's very interesting how these tracks integrated into city development and they all played off of each other that you look at things now and you go, wow, that started with a racetrack and with race cars. That's very, very cool. I love it. I think about that time period, the Barney Oldfields of racing and so forth. Wonderful times for sure. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. We come back. I want to talk a little bit about a challenge you may have faced in putting this book together. So keep your seatbelts on and we'll be right back. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions. And I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world-class lifestyle events. 
where thousands of the world's most sought-after unique and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett-Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett-Jackson auctions is contagious, and a unique experience is not to be missed. And coming soon, something new for you Cars Yeah listeners. I'll be teaming up with Craig Jackson on the first ever Barrett Jackson podcast, coming to your mobile devices every week. Listen here on Cars Yeah and check out the Barrett Jackson website for unique details on this new exciting podcast that I'm very proud to be a part of. And be sure to visit BarrettJackson.com today. Barrett Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. Did you know that Cars Yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. And Cars Yeah is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. So Harold, let's talk about a challenge in putting books together. You mentioned the first book that no book really existed. So you had to create a book and that book's been out of print since 2012. So this book now, were there some challenges that you ran up against when you decided to do this again, in essence, and uh, update it? Well, the updating of it, it was proved to be not quite as difficult as I thought. And the whole thing that happened was my graduate thesis in 1996, so 25 years ago, it just happened to be 25 years. My graduate thesis was about where the tracks were, what's there now, what effect it had on future land use. And then somebody saw it, our buddy Doug Stokes saw this thing, and he said, you need to turn that into a book. So I changed the format and turned it into a book. Now, the big challenge back then was there was no internet, so everything had to be done going to the library and going through microfilm and that sort of thing. Well, over the years, that sold out several times and whatnot, and I created where they raised lap two, and then that went out of print, and I just, you know, I'm kind of tired of being at a car show three out of four weekends a month and trying to sell books, and so I just let it go. And family things happen as well, you know, I have two daughters, so... We need it, you know, life stuff happens. Yep. And then I'm uh, sitting around on this one. And, you know, last year, uh, I just decided I needed to remodel my home office here. So I took all my books and everything out and rebuilt the shelves and all that. Looks great. But when you go to put everything back, books are easy. You can put the indie books here and the oval books there and the drag racing books over here. Well, then you've got folders of photos and stories and programs and it's all great stuff. Okay, yeah, you know, I should scan this and put it on the internet. Yeah, and effectively just give everything away. So yeah, but if it sits here in your folder, 
doesn't do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. So they're okay. Well, it's time to revisit where they raced. And so I did. And this being the third version of it, if you will, it's where they raced turn three. Yeah, there's the turn three. Well, <laughs> you mentioned our mutual friend, Doug Stokes. want to shout out and a thank you to him. He's brought me so many great guests and introduced me to some wonderful people. Seems like he knows everybody who's ever been everywhere. So uh, thank you, my friend, Doug, for putting me together with uh, Harold today. Uh, bucket list items. If you look ahead at maybe another project in the future, do you have such a thing that you're looking towards? I don't really have a specific project. I'm more of a a flow kind of guy. A flow. <laughs> I, I I watch things happen. I'm, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was uh, a Navy brat. So I went to 18 different schools growing up. And that early training kind of taught me to be a very good observer. Mm. And it's, it's not an aggressive way to live your life. But uh, you do get a good read on a room and people and things and trends. And so that's what I kind of roll with. I just watch things as they come and just kind of adapt as we go. You know, this is very interesting because my wife, Jill, grew up, uh, her father was a 35-year Marine, and so they moved all the time. And she is the same way. You know, she said, I, I moved to different culture. I lived in different places around the world. I had to adapt uh, very quickly. And she's a bit shy, I would say. So she would sit back, and her flow was to observe and analyze. And to this day, she can observe people and very quickly tell me everything I need to know about them. It's amazing sometimes to me. I'm like, how'd you know that? She goes, well, Mark, you just walk up and start talking to people. I kind of hang back and watch their actions, see what they're doing and uh, observe that way. So uh, you share something with Jill in that respect, which I think is a really, really valuable talent to have. I want to talk a little bit about your passion for cars because you've raced cars before you obviously love cars is there a special vehicle in your life whether it's a street car or race car that you could share maybe a, a great story with us i have um my daily driver is a 1951 chevrolet pickup truck and uh, i had learned to drive in that truck it belonged to my uncle benny down in san diego and uh, i would borrow it i had three on the tree and the starter button on the floor and we used to haul loads of stuff to the dump out on out on Kearney Mesa, mm. um, up there by the by the airbase, and so that's what I learned to drive in. And nice. then he passed away some years ago, and my cousins drove it till it stopped, and then it sat in the backyard for a couple of years, and then I picked it up, and that was that. And I still have it; it's my daily driver. It's not a 1951 anymore. It has a front clip from a 1980 Firebird and a whole bit, and it's all dressed up. And you know, I used it when I was selling books. And, yeah. Got a 51 on the door and the whole thing. <laughs> is that the car in the in the picture you sent me? Yes, it is. It's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, the first date with my wife, Diane, we, we had met at work in the way back days. And the first real date we had, I went to pick her up on a Saturday morning in my rusty old sort of blue, partly green pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And we drove down to the beach at Venice and we hung out at the beach for most of the day. We left there and went over to Ascot Park and watched the sprint cars race that <laughs> night. She'd never seen anything like this before, you know, but that's what I like to do. So I went and did that. Yeah. And then I took her home. And at the end of the day, the end of the day, I just told her, I said, look, this is pretty much me. I said, I have an old pickup truck. I like going down to the beach and I like watching sprint cars on dirt. 
So if you can handle that, we'll be okay. And <laughs> that was a while ago, and now we've been married going on 31 years. Well, congratulations. What a nice story. That's very, very cool. This is me. This is what you get. So if you want to hang around, we could have some fun. And there you go. And two lovely daughters. So very, very special. That's great. I want to crawl into your head a little bit here and ask you this question, which I'll bet nobody's ever asked you. If you were manifest as a vehicle, Harold, what would you be and why? As a vehicle? Yeah. Um, I really, I really couldn't answer that one. We have a couple of practical cars here at home, but my, my two collector cars, if you will, is my pickup truck, and I have a 66 Galaxy as well. Okay. And the Galaxy we got as a project for my older daughter and I to work on and you know do father-daughter stuff in the garage kind of thing. We've had it 15 years now. And along with learning how things go together and problem solving, she learned more Navy words than she should have known at 13 <laughs> years old, but you know that's part of the game as well. <laughs> so what happens with those two cars though is the truck was a piece of junk when I got it and now it's more modern you can drive it I did the same thing with the Galaxy it has a modern engine let's call it a 351 Windsor and a four-speed AOD and then it, it dawns on me now that I'm, I hadn't thought about this before thank you very much Mark yeah those cars reflect how I am mm, nice. they are older they have a sense of history to them. You can pick them out in a crowd, yet they're still functional in the modern world. You know, the, the reason I changed to disc brakes on the truck and the Galaxy is because I need to use these things all the time. They need to be able to stop with a Toyota in front of you. You know, that yeah, guy's going to yeah. stop real fast. And as much as you can anticipate, you need to be able to stop as well. I understand accidents can happen. So, but if you thought about it ahead of time and it still happens, that's not an accident. Right. Okay. So in a manner of speaking, those cars are reflective of me. Uh, they have that old style, that old manners, if you will, mm -hmm. yet they're still functional in the modern age. See, you could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a unique one. I know it puts people off, not off, but puts, sets people back a little bit. They really have to kind of dive into it, but you did a nice job with that. So I appreciate that. I was going to say, I've only had one guest out of 1,849 people that would not answer that question. And uh, it, that was kind of like, like, what do you mean you don't want to answer the question? I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the way it goes. But yeah. I, I got an answer out of you. So that's all that matters. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, many, many people find and they've learned when they get to be mature gentlemen like you and I that uh, one of the secret sauces to life is giving back to others. Are there some ways that you like to help others in, primarily in the automotive sector? Not so much directly. Um, all I do is participate. Mm. You know, I, as they say, I'm a little more passive when it comes to that sort of thing. I'm a, I'm a C-minus race car driver. I've, I've been to the courses. I've done the things. I've been in a few race cars and done some stuff. And I find that I'm really physically adept and I can do it, but that's not my strength. That's not what I do. Mm -hmm. So the way that I participate in the auto racing game is by doing what I do, which is telling a story, which is gathering information and bringing out the history and spreading the word and trying to introduce other people to, well, we can call it a hobby or a business or whatever, but introduce them to the car world and let them know there's more to it than you know, just the greasy guys or the green-haired guy down the street kind of thing. Now, I always ask my guests to share a great book. Obviously, 
Today, we're going to share yours, where they race turn three auto racing venues in Southern California, 1900 to 2020, uh, by my guest today, Harold Osmer. But is there maybe another book? Are you are you an avid book reader? Maybe one book you'd like to share that you found really valuable? Well, there's a, I have probably 200 books in my library here. Most of them are automotive related and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Two of them I can think of offhand. I'll bet you never had this answer. Okay. <laughs> How about Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut? You know, I'm I know the book and I'm wondering I I think I maybe have had that. I'll have to go back and look. You know, I have a great place on my website called <laughs> Guest Recommended Books where I list all my, my guest recommendations. There's over 2,000 listed there with Perfect. quick, easy clicks to buy. But yeah, Slaughterhouse Five, great book. Absolutely. And I and the reason I say that one is because the Let's call him protagonist, uh, Billy Pilgrim. He's he's very aware of where he is, and he somehow comes unstuck in time. And every time he shows up someplace, all of a sudden he's somewhere else. But he's very aware of where he is in, in that moment, according to him. Right. And I have that sort of feeling most places I go. Uh, my daughter and I were at Paris Auto Speedway this past weekend watching the sprint cars. And we haven't been there in you know two years for obvious reasons. And we pulled in, and I looked around, and I said, you know, I know we haven't been here in two years, but it feels like we were just here. Um, and I feel that way all the time. Yeah, and okay. that's, that, that, that's where the Slaughterhouse-Five comes into play. You know, that's very interesting. And while you were, I mean, yeah, that deja vu-esque sense. And I've heard this, people talk about people that are born with old souls that feel like they've been there before or something, but. While you were answering that question, I did a quick search, and indeed, uh, I do have several guests who have mentioned Slaughterhouse Five. Well, uh, there we go. There you go. Yeah, the last one being uh, Noel Carroll, guest fifteen forty nine. I think there was actually a, uh, one of my youngest guests actually mentioned that book as well, which kind of surprised me. She was a, a recent high school graduate who was going into automotive restoration and fabrication and so forth. But very cool. And then there's a second one. You say. Yeah, the second one, but very quickly on Slaughterhouse-Five, Kurt Vonnegut's writing style is very distinct and straightforward. He has very short declarative sentences, which makes him easy to read, and he gets to the point and then moves on. Mm. And so that's one of those things. The the next one, I laughed at when I was in high school and heard about it, found it later in life, and it's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that one helps weave a little bit of tale about why you do things, why it's important to have quality in the way that you do things and the way that you live your life, which I think is, you know, adds up to more than, you know, just tightening your nuts and bolts and whatever. You you have to conduct yourself. You're you're the one that, that knows. You already know when you're doing something wrong. Who is actually surprised when a cop pulls you over to give you a speeding ticket? <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're all a little anxious and we're all a little upset and dang it, why did he pick me out? But we all knew we were doing 82 into 65, so you already knew this going in. Right. And that's part of the story with uh, the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah. So we'll throw that one. Great book by Robert Persig. My son gave me that book years ago, and it was not what I expected it to be when I started reading it. I had to stop and start it over again because, like, wait, this isn't what I thought I was getting into. So, uh, it is a really, it's a great book, and my son is a Blake is an avid, avid reader. I mean, just incredible. 
uh, reader and uh, and a great writer too as well. So uh, yeah, get your hands on that, listeners. I'll make sure I put these books along with Harold's book on his show notes page so you can click and buy a copy. Uh, I definitely guarantee you, uh, you'll want to get a copy of this. I have one sitting here on my desk. It's so much fun. I was going through it last time in uh, expectations of our talk today and it was just uh, fascinating because I had no idea there was this many race courses in Southern California. I mean, it's just, it blew me away. I'm like, how could this be? But now you've taught me a little bit today. We're going to take one more short break. We come back. We're going to go on the ultimate drive. So sit tight and we'll be right back. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS YEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. I'm honored to say that my charity of choice here at CARS YEAH is Tech Force Foundation. They help young people find an education and career that aligns with their passions. For those who love cars, problem solving and working with their hands, a career as a professional automotive technician is the perfect fit for a fulfilling life. We're all wired differently and not every successful career demands a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter and we need qualified skilled technicians to keep our vehicles rolling. Learn more about how you can support tomorrow's driving force and workforce of technicians at techforce.org, like I do here at Cars Yeah. All right, so we're going to go on a great drive today, Harold. You get to pick the car. You get to pick who you're with. You get to pick where you're going. What does this very cool, unique ride look like for you? And by the way, the person you're going with could be either living or deceased. Jeez, hey, Mark. <laughs> All right. You know, the way that I do things and the way that I conduct myself every day, I'm very aware of where I am and what I'm doing. All right. And if I don't like the situation I'm in, I tend to get up and move and go do something different because I'm the one that's responsible for that. And now that you mentioned this, and I had mentioned going out to Paris, uh, that's Paris Auto Speedway is about 100 miles from my house. And so my daughter, Marinda, and I drove out there this past Saturday. Nice. And as I'm driving along, it dawns on me that, you know, I'm in a truck, it's hot, it's noisy, it's three hours to get there, and this is exactly where I want to be. <laughs> this is exactly what I want to be doing. I'm mm-hmm. going to a place that I want to be at, and I'm with my daughter. You know, I mean, it's almost cliche there, but that's one of the things. You get to be an old guy, you realize that all the cliches are true. Right. And I was with the person I wanted to be with. We were going where we wanted to be. We're in the vehicle, getting there. You know, it's a shared experience. If we were, you know, I have a Ford Flex, so it's very comfortable. Best car I ever had. And it's not the same. 
It's not the same as being in a 51 Chevy pickup, waving at the occasional guy that drives by and gives you the thumbs up. And so that almost sounds like a cop out, but that's where I'm going because I do that every day. It's wonderful. I'm in a very good place personally right now. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I'm really happy to hear that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, you're fortunate, but you've put yourself in that position, which is the way it is. And, you know, what comes to mind when you say that is I had Tommy Kendall, great race car driver, uh, in his own rights as a guest on my show. He was guest 500, and then he offered to come back and interview me on my 1,000th show, which he actually did. (laughs) I was really kind of him. But he had a wonderful saying that I've really kept in my thoughts, and that is, you are perfect for this moment. And it means a lot of what you just said, that whatever you're doing at this moment is right for you. And uh, indeed, you were perfect for that moment with your lovely daughter, Miranda, driving out to Paris Auto Speedway. What a delight. Warms the heart, as being a father that I am. So uh, that's very cool. And you have taken us on a very warm and endearing drive today. Uh, this has been so much fun, and I, I really am grateful for, to Doug Stokes for introducing us. Before I let you go, could you maybe leave us with a parting word of wisdom or guidance? Hmm. How about an Einstein quote? Okay. Nothing happens until something moves. <laughs> yes, I love it. Absolutely. So get up and move, listeners. Go out and do something. Create something. Be active. Make something happen. Very well said. What are the best ways uh, that people can keep up with you? Do you play in the social media world? Do you have a website? I do have a website. I have two. One is HO Publishing for HaroldOsmerPublishing.com. And the other is WestHillsWood.com. I spend most of my time in the wood shop. I have a family of rocket scientists, but I'm just the woodshop guy. <laughs> and the ukulele and, uh, player. And the ukulele player. And I'm also on uh, Facebook as Harold Osmer on Facebook. That's easy enough. I'm not real big into social media because I just, I don't see any physical value in it. I'm sure there are people who make a living at it and hats off to you for figuring it all out. That line of business and operation just doesn't really attract me that much. But I also... I also, in the galaxy mode, I also understand there is value there, that the tools are useful and that you have to use them. And so there we go. So it's hopublishing.com and uh, West Hills Wood. Awesome. I'll make sure I put links to those on Harold's show notes page. And again, I encourage you, if you love cars, you love history, you love racing, uh, you got to get your hands on a copy of Where They Race Turn 3. Again, I'll put links to that on Harold's show notes page. Harold, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your life with us. This has been great fun. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It was great talking with you. Best of luck to you always. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.